back to the Brooklyn Poets Yopcast for November 11th, 2019. Featuring poet J.P. Howard leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. I am your host and MC once again, Jason Koo. The Brooklyn Poets Yop is a monthly poetry workshop and open mic held at 61 Local in Cobble Hill. That's at 61 Bergen Street off Smith Street near the Bergen Street FG stop. For more info and to sign up, go to brooklynpoets.org. This month's open mic lineup featured Ellen Ritberg, Della Rowland, David Glover, Jasmine Pyrick, Constantine Jones, Kyle Young, Tim Gerber Flurry, Robin Romeo, Gerald Wagoner, Kim Brandon, Todd Friedman, Melody Chaikali, Harvey Sauce, Sharon Chin, Jay Adler, Kyle Brosmahan, Blake Z. Wrong, Arthur Russell, Bill Livingston, Renee Kay, Josephine Blair, and Tim Olds. This is our last podcast before the Poetry of the Year Smackdown podcast. This was the last spot spot available for the 2019 Home of the Year contest. I say all that because it's maybe a more exciting podcast to listen to than normal. And I'm sure that silent pause uh, set everything up. So let's just get right to it. The Broken Poets Yop open mic for November. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Thank you. Unsolicited woos. I know it's going to be a good night. Yeah, no, I understood. I understood that it was a woo. Although I do have one of those names where if I played sports, they'd be like, they're not saying boo, they're saying coo. Although maybe they would be booing me because I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty bad at baseball. Uh, welcome to the Broken Poets Yop Open Mic. It's great to see so many of you uh, here. Uh, wow, I was just talking before. I was like perfectly full. Now there's all these people standing, so that's that's good. We have a little overflow. Uh, JP is Instagramming. Hey, what's going on? Uh, if you haven't been here before and you don't know me, I am Jason Koo, Executive Director of Broken Poets. Uh, this is our 11th installment of the Open Mic this year. That's important because uh, we vote for Poem of the Month every month, and this is the last chance you have to be voted Poet of the Month. And if you win tonight, you will be competing for Poem of the Year honors, which will happen on December 9th, which is the December Yop, the second Monday of, of that month. And... Uh, that we call the Poetry of the Year, Poem of the Year Smackdown. We don't really have a better title for it, so I just kind of came up with that. Some people are like, why do you call it the Smackdown? It seems so violent. I'm like, it's really kind of just a joke. I mean, uh, it's not really supposed to be serious. But uh, uh, just a little preview of that, because uh, I know some of you are trying to sign up. So usually with the, the YAWP, if you don't know about this, or even if you do, uh, you can sign up in advance on our website, and then we say five open spots at the beginning. Uh, for people that can just shine up, sh- uh, shine up, shine up, yeah, sign up and shine up uh, at the door, and then we have a wait list. But since in December we have to do this poem of the year SmackDown, which is 12 readers, uh, takes about an hour and, and change, and then we also have some awards that we pass out. Uh, we have to have a short and open mic, so that we're probably only going to have time for about 12 to 13, maybe 14 readers, depending on how quick the poems are. So I've decided, I made an executive decision this year for the first time. Uh, in December, we'll just 
all be open signups. So there will be no advanced signups. So don't bother signing up on your phone. Usually I tell you to sign up on your phone right when we're done. Uh, next time, just come early. <laughs> Get here at 6, 6.30, have a beer, wait. You know, you can uh, park your, your butt out front. Uh, maybe you can stay overnight. Some people do that. Uh, on the sidewalk, make sure you get a spot. Uh, but the beauty of it is there will be 12 open spots as opposed to five. So we're going to have less open mic readers, but there will be more open spots. So it'll be like it'll be like uh, Christmas, a Christmas holiday gift from Broken Post to you. Uh, but no advanced signups. Uh, just keep that in mind. Spread the word. I will definitely email people if if they forget. Uh, but we'll have a short open mic that night, and then we'll have the poem of the year smackdown. So uh, to vote for poem of the month, you text me seven one eight three seven four one nine five three. I'll repeat that number ad nauseum tonight, 718-374-1953. I ask that you wait until the end of the night to cast your vote, and the best way to do that is just to try to remember the post's name. I'll go over all the post's names. Uh, give me the first name, last name. I can usually figure it out uh, and say, yeah, that's, that's really all you got to do to cast your vote. You can vote for yourself, but you can't tell other people not present to vote because that's just super shitty and, uh, and definitely invites bad karma onto you. And yeah, 718-374. <laughs> I expect you to process that all really quickly. Seven one eight three seven four. Yeah, or just become friends with JP. One nine five three. Seven one eight three seven four one nine five three. Uh, we also record the open mic as a podcast. We call it the Yopcast. We recently, I think, we got to twenty nine five star votes on iTunes. Yeah, that's that's nice. But you know, it'd be really nice. 30, yeah. Uh, or it will be really nice is like 100, but I'm, you know, I'll hold out for 30. So if someone wants to do that, <laughs> uh, if you want to give us a four-star review, just don't do anything. But if, uh, if you're willing to give us a five-star review, uh, jump on there now. We'd, it'd be great to get to 30 before the end of the year. Uh, we do record it as a podcast. Uh, if you don't want to be in the recording and you're reading tonight, just tell me. I can take you off. I can edit you out, silence your voice for all eternity at least in the digital medium. Hopefully you'll keep writing poems and speaking. Uh, what else is there, Arthur? Oh, I have a couple of announcements. Uh, the Hudson Valley Retreat, if you don't know about it, we are doing a retreat at the Garrison Institute the first weekend of December, December 6th to December 8th. Uh, I will be there. Laura Eve Engel will be there. Javier Zamora, Dorothy Alasky. It's a sort of a two-and-a-half-day thing with poetry class, like generative classes like that you saw tonight at the Yop. Uh, afternoon workshops where we workshop and discuss uh, previously written work. We have readings at nights. We'll have a little bit of wine. We'll have some meditation. We'll have some vegetarian food. Apparently the food is really good up there. Uh, you can sign up for this until November 20th. Uh, there is a fee. It's not free. <laughs> uh, just full disclosure. But uh, you have until November 20th to register. If you wanted it cheaper, uh, you missed your chance. We had a lot of discounts, and uh, all those discounts have passed. Uh, but there are still seats. Uh, and it's still really not that much, considering what you were getting. Uh, compared to a lot of the super expensive fucking retreats that are out there that you could sign up for instead. Uh, so check it out. It's on our website under events, Hudson Valley Retreat. There's also one more workshop coming up that is super cheap. It's a single session workshop with Jessica Greenbaum. Some of you know her. She's a fantastic poet. One of my favorite Brooklyn poets. She read at the Brooklyn Museum on November 2nd. Some of you I know were there. She is teaching a workshop in her home uh, in Fort Greene. I think it's on December 1st, the weekend before the Garrison Retreat, and that's, I think, on a Sunday. It's like a three-and-a-half-hour class. She is looking specifically at poets without books. Uh, which is a great topic. I think today we're sort of obsessed with products and books. Like poets have to have a book to like be a poet, which is total bullshit. I mean, look at all the poets in this room. Uh, maybe you all have books, but I'm thinking you all don't. So 
Um, she's looking at three poets in particular that she loves that don't have books and using them as sort of inspiration and prompts uh, to write your own poems. So that day she promises that you will start at least three new poems uh, with her. That's only 85 bucks, and it's cheaper if you are a member. So check that out, brokenpoets.org. Wow, that's a lot of announcements. I'm already sick of my own voice and running out of saliva. So uh, before, if you are reading tonight, you get one poem, three minutes max on the mic. Please stick to your time. Please stick to the poem limit because we want to get as many poets up here as possible. There are people on the wait list. There's at least 11, including Ricardo Hernandez, who is not even, yeah, not even numbered. <laughs> you got the automated email. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but well, we'll see if we can get to you. Uh, three minutes, one poem. Uh, before we get to the open mic proper, we will hear from our feature reader tonight, who is, of course, our professor. Give it up for J.P. Howard. Thank you, Jason. <laughs> All right, I'm going to read two poems. Um, the first one is actually uh, based on sort of the workshop I just did. It was based on a photo, a childhood photo. Exuberant Pink, After Blue by Yusef Komanyaka. Exuberant Pink is me and Mama and that summer seaside house in Atlantic City. I am eight years old. I have straight, stringy hair with powder puff pink hair bows at the base of each straggly plait. The inside of the house is every shade of pink. I can imagine pale pink refrigerator with matching kitchen cabinets. If I blink, then open my eyes, I am a kaleidoscope of slivers, all pink. Each time I turn the prism, a new shade flashes, magenta, soft pink, pink so pale it is translucent. My favorite room is the master bedroom. The bed is big and oval and cotton candy pink. When I jump onto it each night, that week we stay there. I laugh so loud, mama tickles me. You know that mean you jealous if you laugh real loud when someone tickles you, right baby girl? <laughs> no mama, everybody ticklish. I squeal, laughing so hard, I can hardly catch my breath. Thank you. And I can't do a reading without doing a praise poem. Praise poem for pride marches that have carried me along. Praise my very first pride march right after coming out the closet. How at age 18 I screamed, I love you all and meant it to dykes on bikes who kicked off the New York City gay parade. Each one of them so freaking sexy and androgynous in their fitted black leather jackets as they zoomed across route of the parade. Praise my first San Francisco dyke march five years ago and how I wore my friend Indira's black ruffle boa as we walked through streets of San Francisco. Damn, we were sexy as fuck in black leggings with rainbow jewelry glistening against skin. When Jewel Gomez joined us along the route, we watched as gorgeous women passed us by. Everybody was queer woman magic. Praise how my wife and I and our young sons marched in the New Orleans Pride Parade over 10 years ago and the look of disappointment on our faces as protesters lined up on the sidewalk screaming, God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, go home. Praise how we kept our beautiful queer heads held high. Praise how we marched on while our youngest son sat in his stroller and our oldest son, just nine years old, and all black queer boy joy, wrapped endless Mardi Gras beads, 
the color of the rainbow around his body in delight. Praise supporters who cheers us on, drowning out protesters. Praise my first Philly Pride March and my lover at the time with her newly minted PhD. I was her little secret from New York. I reached to touch or kiss her, so excited by the parade and all the gorgeous queer bodies surrounding us. Each time she snapped back at me, Jay, I told you no public displays of affection. Praise how her words hurt and how I marched in silence the rest of that parade. Praise how my queer little family was selected as grand marshals at last year's Brooklyn's Pride March. Praise that cute rainbow cape I wrapped proudly around my body as my wife, our teenage son, and I screamed, Happy Pride, y'all, to all the supporters in Park Slope along the Fifth Avenue route. Praise how we set up in the back of that vintage Rolls Royce convertible, feeling like queer royalty as we waved our rainbow flags. Praise all that collective queer joy. Praise this queer body and Stonewall 50. Praise closets we knocked down, taunts we have survived, voices we raise each year, every day screaming, we still here, we still queer. Thank you, guys. Kick ass. Uh, let's hear it for the 50th, 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Uprising. Uh, I would say let's celebrate Walt Whitman's 200th birthday, but I feel like we've done that enough. <laughs> so uh, let's just let's just celebrate Stonewall tonight. <laughs> uh, our first reader on the open mic list is right here. Give it up for Ellen Ripberg. I'm one of the featured readers um, this Thursday at KGB Bar for the Great Weather for Media's 2019 anthology, Come. It's a lot of fun. Dad, in mirrored showrooms, swatches hung from your broad shoulders, lace. Venetian, alonsone, redolent of royalty, of foreign places, claret, night navy, the season's colors between 36th Street and 40th, Broadway and 8th Avenues, you were known. You went door to door, office to office, paper grit swirling, subway spuming below. Jack, you'd say to a man like yourself, small barrel chested, you remember my daughter, my middle one? And Jack would smile and say how pretty I was and how big I'd grown in high-ceilinged warehouses. We'd walk down aisles clogged with women's blouses past dark-eyed women sewing who'd look up and smile. You were 75 and still the first one on the train every day, sometimes darkness, battered attache case beside you. Don't worry, I'll get you the goods, you'd promise the buyers, and you did, Dad. Lace salesman, provider, but it was getting harder. Nat, I can't see you now, a much younger man said. Your presence and impertinence. The young bucks, I think you called them, sons of business owners mostly, pushed out by the man you brought in, treated like a son. You saw your end, craved it. Death hung nearby, heavy curtain upon a scanty rod. 
Now retired, you visited gardens, mansions. Standing behind velvet ropes, we heard stories of captains of industry, their wives and average sons. You liked that. Still other days, we drove around the world pink, magnolias thick with buds. In a museum, I posed you be under red groom canvas, bristling alive under stars. Your last year was hard. Something had bored into your core. Saw you quietly reeling, your stride now a shamble. Shoulders, a universal shrug. Oh, Papa, why couldn't I see you were not given to observation of the natural world? Although every spring you heralded the arrival of the robins. Amazing, you'd say, how they always know to come. Through shopping malls, Anonymous, the mind, still incisive. You had been in the intensive care unit many times, always the least sick, your heartbeat irregular, slow, and I'd say at least you don't look like them, the alone insensate ones, and you'd ask, did you write the speech yet? It was our joke, our soft shoe, and I told you, nope. But now it was time in the emergency room, I saw a small tick pulse in your cheek where it hadn't pulsed for a generation. And as the hours charged into muzzy night, dawn greeted me, an indiscriminate halloo. Your tongue now hard, thick, black, a parrot's eyes once cerulean now, a moonless Atlantic. Oh, inchoate world of my ancient silent keening. Sometimes I hear you, not the voice though, never drive, so fast you can't stop if a child ran in the street. Or did you mean my life? You stopped at a red light. Your heart stopped. You went door to door, office to office. Your world was small, and I have grown smaller as the world has alone. Thank you. Thank you, Ellen. Well read. Good use of the word inchoate. Yeah, and cerulean. That's two for one. That's hard to do. Our next reader off the open mic list is, I'm not sure I know Della, but maybe I do. Give it up for Della, is it Rowland or Roland? Roland? Roland, Della Roland. Give it up for Della. Della Roland here. <laughs> First time, and I'm really happy to be here. I don't know why I haven't come before. <laughs> uh, I'm going to read something about my dad just in deference to the workshop, the really nice workshop that we had. Um, it's called The Undertaker. If you were 22, newly married, uniformed, and ready to ship out with your unit, but found yourself under a clean white sheet coughing up TB blood, then rehabbing with your bride at your bedside in a slim skirt and fuck me pumps, her photo in the wallet you meant to take with you to the front, the one of her with her dark wavy hair swooped up off her forehead, wrapped in a snood at the nape, a gardenia behind her ear like Billy. You might feel the living's guilt when three-quarters of that bonded unit was killed right off the boat ramp. You might think you were always lucky, and you'd have been the head's side of that coin flip to see who goes and dies or goes and lives. You might believe, having tricked death once with TB, that you could stay in that good grace 
by selling life after death in your three funeral homes where a body is brought to look natural again and the family would pay someone to take its bones back to earth. You might hope that the grieving living would never forget you, your vividly empathetic eyes, your sudden chivalrous gestures as if to save a swaying vase from shattering on the floor, like when you bolted from a chair to grab a tissue and dab a mourner's eye with the familiarity of kin. You might wish to hear everyone who crowded your wake and gravesite proclaim their love and recount their particular memory of your kindnesses, as if they knew how carefully you placed their dead on the porcelain table with a drain at one end, how you patted the stiff hands after massaging the blood out, preserved their modesty with a white sheet, as if they knew you saw each car-wrecked body that came to you as a boy from off the battlefield, uniform in tatters, whose smashed up face and bloodied hands must be restored. Thank you. Thank you, Della, that was beautiful. Uh, one more round of applause for Della for her first time at the Yacht. Thank you for coming. Yeah, did Russell bring you? Did you come from Jersey with Russell? I did. Was it, was it a Jersey carpool tonight? It was. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? I'm, I'm not going to do anything. I'm happy. Keep, keep making the trip. Uh, anyone else from Jersey tonight? No? Anyone from Staten Island? No? Bronx? Long Island? Someone came to me once from the Bronx and was like, we're going to start the Bronx Poets. I was like, okay, you're going to start some shit? I was like, that's, that's fine. <laughs> it's not like, it's not like uh, West Side Story or something. Like, there can be more than one borough of poets. Uh, our next reader is maybe another Yelp Day viewer. I don't recognize the name. Give it up for David Glover. Hello, can y'all hear me? Okay, cool, 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 cool. Uh, I, this is my debut here. Um, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. I just recently started uh, a new task, which is to write a poem a day, so I'm on day two. Um, <laughs> long way to go. Um, this is called uh, Are You Worn? Okay. Tell me a joke like you used to. Cradle my laughter in yours like water in your hand. Tell me I'm not forgotten. Hug me like you used to, like you're used to me, lifting you up, gasping for comfort and air, bodies sprawled like lovers floating flower petals of romance and a future. Kiss the ego from my forehead and wash me clean like you used to, like you're used to. Tell me I'm not a memory. And if I am, remember me the way we were and how we never cried together. Remember all my parts, the hairlessness, the moles, the wide hips, the nose, the contacts, the wet, and the bruises. Tell me, have we made it this far as friends? Did we unearn the lovers within? Did we uncoil that part of the covers? Are we cold? My feet are calloused, tired, 
worn. Tell me, are you? Are you worn out? Are we worn out of love or time? Tell me you're sure. Tell me you're sure. And I'll meet you by the water, hugging you, seeing if it lands. Thank you. Well done, sir. Another round of applause for the op debuter, David Glover. I like that moment. Are we cold? <laughs> That's a great moment. Uh, I feel like I ask myself that a lot. Yeah, yeah. A sweater vest. Uh, I don't know if I could. I'm, I'm being totally honest. I don't think I could pull that off as well as I think you are. Uh, do you think? Do you think he's pulling it off? I feel like I feel like you're pulling it off. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Why not? It's November. <laughs> I don't know what that has to do with it, but that's what came to mind. Uh, I saw. I posted a picture on Instagram today. There was a sign in Williamsburg. There was a, a store that had a sign like "New Bra November." Is that a thing? Or is that just something they came up with, or is that like a thing? Is that November like a time to get a new bra? That's just. It's not a thing, right? I didn't think so. Should it be a thing? <laughs> Thank you, Ellen. Our next reader is Jasmine Pyrick. Give it up for Jasmine. It's Pyrick. Oh, is, is it Pyrick? It is Pyrick. Jasmine Pyrick. Jasmine Pyrick. Thank you. Uh, so I've been reading a lot of Ocean Vong. Yeah. Uh, and he wrote a poem called Notebook Fragments uh, that really inspired me. So I pulled a bunch of notes out of my phone and out of my journal and put them in a poem. Yeah. Chung Si is a Chinese saying that means to wash away misfortune with joy. He said far scarier than risk is to miss an opportunity. On a placard in front of a statue inside Villa Borghese, it said, anyone who loves to flee the seeds of pleasure will face bitter berries. Air rushes as the train emerges from the black tunnel. Approaching the platform, it's the only relief from heat. In sex, there is breath, movement, and sound. Enigma, a person or thing that is mysterious or difficult to understand. It's liberating to say fuck that, to say fuck no to pleasing. I need to define love for myself, because when we are kids and when we are learning, sometimes actions and words don't match. My divorce should be officially legal as of today. I wonder if I should send my ex a congratulatory text. Everything gets done and then it doesn't. Laying on top of him, I wanted to stretch my skin, melt until I was a thin layer that could be wrapped around him in entire. Sometime after you turn 27, you hit 10,000 days on earth. Why do we shy away from the things that we know are good for us? I watched the sun go down today and thought it tragic that no one bids it farewell. I'm simmering chana masala and sipping on scotch over ice with honey and lemon. My ankles feel swollen from a day of walking in the heat and too much soy sauce with lunch. The scotch isn't helping. I just wiped my makeup from my face and caught a glance of myself in the mirror and thought, damn, you're beautiful. <laughs> I wrote a letter to my ex-husband telling him that I am in love with a mutual friend. There's no way to make those words less difficult to choke on. Did you know it's legal in New York to unscrew a fire hydrant for a little summer reprieve? At a cookout in Chinatown, 
Tennessee, Tennessee whiskey was played loud as people crowded around a barbecue on the sidewalk. This man, Jason, came. I didn't know him. He looked sad. I learned that he loved a woman who was done loving him. She was supposed to be there. He looked at me and said, I bought three extra pounds of meat for her. I tasted the potato salad that he brought to a company. Too sweet. I made it to the ocean. Waiting in the waves, I wept. I waited. I made long lists down my arms and up my walls for why this wouldn't work. The New York skyline is backlit red. Wind picks up and lightning scatters, a reminder that I am completely out of control. You came to me in a dream last night, smashed your forehead into the shower tiles, and offered me your bloodied lips. One of my favorite childhood memories was falling asleep on the couch after doing my homework and waking up to my dad making dinner. A falcon perched on my fire escape this morning. He stayed for 45 minutes. I told you it was a sign. You laughed. I knew. Retreating is not the same thing as running away. It's keeping your armies skilled and energetic. I walked by your apartment today. I don't even know what closure would look like for us. Moving things from, moving things from their home uproots them. For fruits, nutrients are lost in transit. I wonder what happens with people. I love the candy smell of ballpoint ink. The joy of falling out of love is that you get to experience falling into it again. I ride my bike down the center of Dean wearing a wool jacket, not for warmth, but because we've all agreed that it's autumn. <laughs> we made apple crisp and topped it with cookies and cream, an unexpected pairing that was surprising as it was delicious. Like an ancient cathedral, my back arches, sacred. Your moon-filled eyes listen. Winter is approaching. A saxophone fills the 34th Street station. For now, I want some coffee and poetry. I'm tempted to say that nothing beautiful has ever been built without a plan, but here we are. Well done, Jasmine Pyrrhic. You know, Ocean read that very poem right where you were standing. Yeah, no shit, yeah, he read here, uh, was it last year? I think it was last year, maybe the year before. That was at 61 Local, the room was packed. Also the most watched video that we have. <laughs> uh, that, dude is, that dude is popular. Most of our, I'm like, oh, this is good. This video's been watched like 100 times. That video's been watched like 2,500 times. Yeah, which is still really not that much if you compare it to like YouTube YouTubers <laughs> that are, I don't know, like bunnies jumping around or something. Like, it's like 500 million views or so. <laughs> Uh, okay, our next reader is no stranger to all of you. If you've been here before, give it up for Constantine Jones. Hi, friends. Uh, hi. Oh, that's so nice. People say hi back. I love y'all. Uh, everybody doing good? Yeah. Yeah? Cool. Awesome. Um... um yeah, this is uh, a piece from this new project um, called Death Medley Blues, um, and it takes its title from uh, an old blues song called Take Your Burdens to the Lord. So here we go. Uh, and as, as with all my work, it's dedicated to folks whose lives have been uh, impacted by HIV, um, both those still here and those still not. <clears throat> Carrying the hot water for communion on the little golden plate. That was always my favorite, if there could be a favorite task in the altar. I hated to cut the bread, because what if I got it wrong? Wonky geometry and all those crumbs. And besides, you weren't supposed to eat nothing before communion, so it was kind of a big tease. 
Carrying the gospel around the church during the great entrance, I never liked that much neither. Too heavy, big, sharp, golden book with those red blood pages. But carrying the hot water, it was like alchemy, I thought, though maybe not in those words. I was little. We had an electric kettle behind the altar. Seemed kind of out of time with the blue tiles, the Holy Mother looking down from above the dome, arms outstretched with all the angels. You'd have to know the exact right moment in the service to put it on, otherwise you'd miss the cue. And see, I was a theater kid, so missing cues I understood. You can't do it. Liturgy was basically just a real important play we'd do every Sunday, that's all. Always the same, but still a little different depending on who it was in the altar that day. Like a song done by different people. Like a blues song. Done different times by the same people. All these little versions. Really everything, it's a lot like music. I don't feel like explaining that anymore. Chris, I think that was his name, the nice guy who was basically, well, not a monk, but he looked like one. He'd sworn himself to the church in some particular way. That was all I understood. Short with a bald head and a sweet face. He'd remind you always kiss your robes before you put them on. Go get the priest blessing too. Kiss his hand, kiss his hand, kiss his hand. Learn to tie the sash. Do it right. First time. He put the respect into things. So much to where now I find it hard to wear my favorite t-shirts and only because they seem more special. And are special things allowed to be touched? Only in the right way, maybe. Only under circumstances. You had to build up strong fingers to carry the hot water. Wait till it bubbles. Unplug it before it beeps. Pour it in the little golden chalice. It looked kind of like a genie's lamp with a lid and a cross on top. All the same piece of metal, so it got real hot real fast. The saucer was real small, too, and it would get all the heat from the chalice. You'd have to be quick. Enter, stage right. Walk all the way around behind the altar to end up stage left. Hold the saucer so the priest can pour it. All the parents in the front row pews like some middle school talent show. And you couldn't drop it. Once the priest gave it back, on account of then, it was holy. Hot and holy. Exit stage left. Walk all the way back around the back of the altar. Then Chris would give you a look. Good job. It's becoming the body and blood now. You go in and out the altar from these, uh, what I thought as a kid to be secret doors. Four big icons framing either side of the altar. It was the same in every Greek Orthodox church, a special formula about how they were arranged. Holy Mother stage left, Heavenly Father stage right. Then it'd be a slot reserved for St. John the Baptist. He got his head cut off, and by a woman, no less. Then a spot reserved for the church's patron saint, in our case, St. George, on his big white horse spearing a serpent. The third icons from the center, those were always on hinges so you could make the entrances and exits, reserved for the archangels both. Stage right, it was Michael or Gabriel, I don't remember. Maybe he had a sword. Michael then? Maybe. Anyway, on with the show. Standing there holding the red cloth with the procession come to get it. That one you couldn't weasel out of. Better than holding the bread bowl. I didn't like it looking at all those people's mouths like that while the priests said their sacred names. On the windows were stained glass stories. One I always looked at even though it scared me. The good Lord coming up at the earth. A big jagged cleft in the rock. Standing there glowing with his legs on either side of the wooden cross. Was it supposed to be the cross or just a couple planks of wood? There's the mother in the background weeping. What for? He's back. Or maybe disbelief. He's back? Down under the earth, it was a scrawny man with shackles on his wrists and feet. Looked a lot like the Lord, actually. Long, scraggly hair, the same features, only I think it was supposed to be death. Not death, my friend, but old death. Their dad, maybe. I never asked him about it. Didn't seem right. Hey, death, what'd your old man look like? Because there's a window in my church where he's down there, only he's got a body. I mean, it's all gray and waterlogged, but he's got skin on his bones. 
How come you don't have skin on your bones, huh, death? Is it like a genetic thing? Does death have genes? No. That'd be the wrong thing to say. End of the service, there's a rule the priest has to finish the communion himself. Whatever isn't distributed, whatever's left in the cup, I watch him from behind the altar stage left, scoops the whole thing into his mouth. Watched him get on his actual knees one day because a baby'd spit it out onto the carpet floor. In theater, we call that improvisation. <laughs> but in ritual, I don't know. Body of body and body and blood, the big change. Does it happen only in the cup? Or is it the kind of thing you can do in another room? in a bed, even. We were gonna have one of those two ha deaths, a body change. But when? Can it go the other way? Body of bone to body and blood. Body of body of bone and boy. Body of joy. Thank you. Thank you, Constantine. Uh, I should have said Constantine won Poem of the Month last month. Uh, so, yeah, give him a round of applause for that. Constantine will be here in December. Uh, I'm trying to cool down the room, and uh, hopefully it's helping. Does it feel cooler? It feels the same. Uh, <laughs> you, said that, you said that with a tone. Tim. Uh, okay. Uh, first five readers, Constantine Jones, Jasmine Purick, David Glover, Della Roland. Roland, right? Roland. Yeah, yes. Ellen Ritberg. Our next reader, former student of mine, former reader of the Brooklyn Poets Reading Series, give it up for Kyle Young. Yeah, I can't adjust to myself. I need Arthur here. But um, so, yeah, it's great to be back in Brooklyn. Um, I'm going to read a new poem. Oh, no, I live in the Upper East Side, but I'll, I consider myself a Brooklyn poet. It's in, it's in my heart. It's in here. So, um, but I'll be reading a new poem. Uh, it's the first time I've written a new poem in a long, long time. So hope you guys like it. Um, like Up until about a year or two ago, I feel like I, was, I just consider myself like a very overly polite person. And it wasn't until I got, I read one of Jason's poems uh, called Model Minority that I was like, yes, I'm so I was like, maybe I'm not being just overly polite. Like maybe I'm just kind of uh, yielding parts of my history or parts of my identity in order to make everyone else more comfortable and to convenience everyone else. And so uh, while I was writing this new poem, someone said something the other day I thought was really funny. So I decided to make it the title of this poem. So, this poem is, uh, she sees a video of a mixed-race girl speaking Mandarin and, confused, says, but that girl isn't Chinese. I wake in the waves of a Taiwan Strait, pouring salt into my cheeks, my eyes tearing off into the moonlight. Every night I dream of being washed away in a kitchen sink, rinsed from the mouths of my family. Father only tells stories when I ask him. Where were you stationed in the mountains? Did you dream of America or survival? Which kept you alive? Which almost killed you? Yesterday, I tucked Yaya into bed. As I laid him down, straightened his legs, he whispered the last words he could 
remember in English. Take it easy. So I drew the sheet over his body, stopping at his neck for now. I still make jokes about the Chinese restaurants like our family's last lawn on Town Street. I'll tell my white friends, there are only two requirements to open your own, an adjective and a noun. Golden chopsticks. Elegant dragon. Lucky star. Maybe if they understand our names, then they'll stop shouting ching chong when I drag the duck sauce smell to school. The last time I was in New York, Someone's son asked how tall I am. He needed to know whether I would fit inside his apartment or be in the way of the fire escape. If I have a son with his mother's eyes, then will there still be room for me under his tongue? Will he want to eat bitter squash just because it's what daddy did? I make myself small on subways and elevators, lay my life out in the corner, nestle under the paw of a tiger. My mother clawed sheets of skin off my back so I could be striped like the other kids. So my vertebrae could grieve in the open. My Mongolian spot refuses to fade. I guess some of us will always look like abused children. In school, I learned trauma will stall a person's development. In school, I learned some of us will always look like abused children. Thank you. Nice. Give it up for Asian American men. How about that? There aren't many of us in the poetry world. There's like five. It sounds like a joke, but it's really not that far off from that number. It's kind of kind of funny and really painful for me. Okay, uncomfortable silence. Uh, we will move on to the next reader who had a tone earlier, because he thinks it's getting hot in here. Give it up for Tim gerber Flurry. <laughs> All right, let's read Steps. You can walk for hours with somewhere to go, or you can walk for minutes with nowhere to go. It seems hard to walk as far as the eye can see, you should walk with your head high. You should walk in pain just once to see if you can do it. You can walk towards extinction with a smile on your face, which is what we all seem to be doing these days. You can walk under the rain. You cannot think about it. You can go, you can go rather fast on foot, often faster than public transportation. Los Angeles is a terrible place for walking. So is Austin, so is Atlanta. You can walk to work, you can work to walk. You can drink hot coffee, you can drink cold beer, but walk somewhere to do so. Matt Green walked every street in New York City. It isn't nothing. He did it just to do it. You can walk in the desert, it's not as hot as you think. In hindsight, you can probably walk Los Angeles. You most likely can't walk on water. One guy allegedly did it, and it started a whole thing. <laughs> you should take your time when you walk, because you owe to be present. You ought to bring yourself to yourself. You can run after people, money, 
the truth, but you can walk. Thank you. I'm a big fan of that poem because he just wrote that in my workshop. We workshopped that poem yesterday. That's amazing. And he already revised it. Good job. Good student. You get an A+. Plus. Yes. Our next reader, fantastic poet. You can find him on poetsbridge.org. If you don't know about that, go to poetsbridge.org and learn all about it. Give it up for Robin Romeo. Very happy, <clears throat> very happy to be here, um, first time. And uh, I'm not unaware of all the hard work that goes into making this possible, and it's appreciated. This is called uh, "We Identify Our Mother's Body." Even now, rolled out on a slab, in the shadow of a chilled futility. In this well-lit room, your face remains stern and prone to smile. The place has been thought out, darkness banished, no color except the cement gray which hints blue. Even echoes limit themselves to one corner of this oversized, mostly empty space. In this chapter, your body is draped in wrinkle-free white fabric, spotless, where we were anxious about numerous stab wounds jeering, death respects nothing at us. The split in your lower lip, a little off to your right, filled with gelled plasma as if it wants to heal. For two of my sisters and a family friend, it's your cheeks gentle downward sloping upon which all eyes linger at the sight of you. For my baby sister, it's your hairline vibrant Miss Clear or Black that stains your skin, an almost imperceptible gray, newly sprouting. It seems your hair has been combed with great care. Your last act, maybe, or have you charmed the morgue? For me, it's your ankles, my ankles, narrow, frail as ever, feet flaring from the heel, second and third toe twinned. It's quick. We draw away, gather around the one who needs to sit, unable to give back any of the all you have given, all we intended to share with you, diffused among nothingness in our gut, never to touch you. It's her. It's her. We hush the silence in sequence, ragged as the first drops of a rain shower, hot tears sounding their pitch by impact radiated anger and early stage grief, embossing polished concrete. What would we not trade to walk you out of this building? Laughing, howling ourselves out of breath after the getaway until you protest. Calm down, you children. Thank you, Robin. Fantastic. That was your first time reading at this open mic, yes? Give it up for Robin one more time. I know. It's 
I'm trying to get on the open mic, and uh, I'm glad you finally got up here. It's all you regulars keep taking the spots. Uh, December will be fun. It's gonna be just like it'll be like a melee downstairs. <laughs> see how badly you want to read. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Our next reader is Gerald Wagoner. Give it up for Jerry. briefly there's one re uh, reference in here to uh, red granite markers this is uh, I went to the uh, little bighorn uh, battlefield uh, a few years ago and I'm, I'm a history guy and I'd like to tons of fucking research before I'd even step near the place but anyway the red markers are recently they begin to name certain Native Americans who fell there and so there are markers for the ones that, whose names they knew, and I referenced that here, okay? Uh, lies on the ground. Iconic photos, like the faded vintage image on the Trading Post Cafe menu, Sitting Bull facing Custer over the fry bread taco, are damned lies. Yet that morning, where the muddy little rosebud flows into the wide, slow Yellowstone, I captured the seventh calf bivouac. Did the horse soldiers ride out in cinemascope, columns, spy twos, under snapping guidon flags? I read they swayed 23 relentless hours, splayed astride army saddles more wood than leather, Across an arid landscape, uncultivated, uneven, dotted by gray sage, covered in short, coarse grasses that fade to straw bones in early, by early July, their colonel ordered to rescind the compact of the unseated land. I am here eager to touch wind, to hear terrain, keen to make sense, to lay the actions on the ground of a battleground little changed, and to name who died beside a river, my people translate the greasy grass and name the little bighorn. My fingers traced lines within outlines, but maps are flat. On the ground there is panting. Blood courses through the list of uniform corpses dutifully recorded in the Bismarck Dakota Territory Tribune. High ground overlooks the field of Reno's Valley fight. I can see the copes of cottonwood trees where troopers probably soiled their pants at the overwhelming indigenous, indigenous retaliation that followed the first volley, the first blood. Photos are dishonest, static. Storied places bundle into context on site. Make clear the distance between here and there. So I hark the hard breath and the lust and fear behind the two red granite markers proclaiming named Cheyenne warriors who fell racing up the steep slope from the river across open ground to take scalps and to steal horses to gain the bragging rights Harry promised them at Angincourt. Behind me, left and right, are 250 plus white marble stones, some clustered, 
soldiers fumbling to reload, quailed into huddled coveys. Did you know that in some plains tribes, like Siksika, personal names are verb-derived? I hunt for them in the broad valleys where grass is greener. I say crazy horse or two moons, but neither is the name either heard whispered hoarsely in the night. I'm told there was a boy who, that morning, rode out with his father to tend the horses. In English, his name was, he is trouble, or maybe plenty of trouble, perhaps deeds, or just deed. I wonder what his mother called him in her sleep. I wonder whether he and his father talked. He was 10. I wonder if he was stalking a bird or a butterfly when he caught the first bullet. Thank you, Jerry. Nice hat. <laughs> Our next reader has been kicking ass lately at the Yop Open Mic. Give it up for Kim Brandon. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Hi. This poem is dedicated to women who say to each other, put on your big girl panties and woman up. Big girl panties. I'm just going to get into my poem if you don't mind. <laughs> Big girl panties. It was to imply a time to be brave, walk through the fire, ambers roasting what was left of combed out hair. Only the panties, the big girl, adult warrior, lift that car off that baby's leg, wrestle a wild bear, go into the courthouse and ask for a lower bear, put up with the bulletless war of gentrification, put up with that cousin who always takes too much. Those big girl panties. Panties that feel more painted on to black skin. So when they tell you to put on your big girl panties and get it done as if you have ever taken them off. <laughs> you don't know how many days straight you've been wearing them same drawers. <laughs> you washed them in the sink just the other day. You had to put them back on before they dried. There are always a sundry of reasons why when the undergarments became threadbare with wear, the elastic band shot, the bright colors bleached out with lye soap, they sag. Even with safety pins holding them up, they sag. Needing a day off and not getting one, they sag. So, conspire. Conspire to squirrel away days to men to stitch, to even frolic in tall grasses, butt naked, bare bottom sticking up, turn a silent ear to trouble, play in fields of lilacs and stargazers, dance until you pass out with joy. 
And when worry comes, when worry comes that Aunt Bluebell has died, she died young from exhaustion and consumption. You see, she had worn those same big girl panties every day of her life, painted on with lace and loss, held together with hope and spit and steel and tears. She managed to keep them clean, but just barely. She used to say, now who has time for cold water washing when you live on the front line? When the undertaker asked the family, what y'all want to do with them big girl panties? <laughs> you tell them, take those off of her. Bury them under a tangle of morning glories. Conspire, conspire to usher in a well-deserved peace, if only for Auntie Blue. I told her she was kicking ass. <laughs> that was great. Uh, okay, to review, we had ten readers. Uh, might be going over our time limits a little bit, but that's okay. It's Really great open mic so far. Kim Brandon, Gerald Wagoner, Robin Romeo, Tim Gerber-Fleury, Kyle Young, Constantine Jones, Jasmine Pyrrhic, David Glover, Della Rowland, Ellen Ripberg. Our next reader is Todd Friedman. Give it up for Todd. I love you like a kid running after a Mr. Softy truck on a 90-degree day, the ice cream dripping down his shirt and landing on his sneakers. And when I hear your full-throated laugh, it could be the coldest day of the year, but I get that feeling that spreads through my body when I quickly down a shot of scotch, only I don't need a drop of it. I love you the way geese fly in formation, and I would follow you on bicycle rides across continents as we stuffed wonders into pockets we didn't know we had. I believe in your love. And even when you shoot laser beams at me, I know that after a time we'll be sitting together on the porch eating popcorn or dangling our legs over the side of a jacuzzi, making a toast to whatever it is we're planning next. I love you with the light at the end of the day as it rests against the tops of red brick apartment buildings, bathing them in a canvas of orange. And I love you because it all goes back to when we went for a walk and you took off at that breakneck speed. I admit I joined you in that insanity, all the while wondering what the big rush was. Only years later did you tell me you thought I was setting the pace. I, I wrote that in Laura Eve Engel's recent workshop, Funny Ha Ha, which I would like to recommend to you. I appreciate that, Todd. Great poem and great advertisement. <laughs> Funny Ha Ha. <laughs> Humor in Poetry was the name of the workshop. 
a lot of people were intimidated by that workshop because they thought they weren't funny enough. So uh, that was unfortunate. Uh, but next time, don't be intimidated. Sign up. Be funny. Uh, bye, all of you that just left. <laughs> Uh, the room suddenly got a lot cooler. That was nice, actually. It, it was like, it, it was like, <laughs> that was noticeably cooler. No, I think uh, Kyle had to leave, but some other people left with him. Uh, our next reader is where are we? Melody Chaikali. Give it up for Melody. Hi, everyone. A little sad everyone left before I was going to read, but it's okay. <laughs> I love all of you that are still here. Thank you. Thank you. Um, funny enough, the poem that I'm going to read tonight keeps with the theme of the workshop earlier. It's a letter, so I've come full circle. It's called A Letter to Love. Sweet friend, we have moved alongside each other for 29 years before I even knew how to shape those four letters in my mouth. But I knew you existed, seeing it in the eyes of the two people who made me, the two people who built the wall around your forever home in my heart. My dear, I kept you safe until I met the first person who I was willing to share you with, a sweet boy who pushed me on the swing and told me I was pretty. How I wanted to break you into two pieces so that me and the boy could have you together. But half a love was not enough. So I closed the door and our adventures began, just you and I, opening ourselves to more sweet boys who soon turned to men, who I led into my body, finding home in my heart, forcing you to share your space. And how sorry I was for giving you away to people who did not know how delicate you were, my darling love. And how I did not learn that sharing bits of you will never be enough, that you and I both need an entirety of affection, an endless romance, another whole love to blend with our whole. And so, at our 29th year of companionship, I will keep us together. Love, Melody. All right, that's two straight love poems. Do we have a third, Harvey Sauce? <laughs> Where is Harvey? Oh, there he is. Give it up for Harvey Sauce. Let me say, baby, a picture of uh, Arthur Russell in heaven adjusting the mic. Yeah, I like it. Okay. Um, for those of you who don't know, I host a monthly uh, open mic, usually with features, although not this coming Saturday, uh, on the third Saturday of every month from four to six at the historic Montauk Club. Uh, this coming Saturday is uh, our, our uh, November event. If you don't have any of the flyers I've been passing out, I think there's some at the table. Uh, it's an extraordinary venue. I invite you to attend. This is a, what I'm going to read is a somewhat a relatively older poem of mine revised uh, with the, into the mic that Arthur set so wonderfully. Thank <laughs> you. Called uh, Other People's Vacations. It's all I ever get, other people's vacations. <laughs> I collect from Pinterest photos of other people's vacations, <laughs> which I pin to the corkboard of my brain, substituting my face for theirs. 
a trick learned from Coney Island concessionaires who had us poke our own mugs through life-sized cardboard figures on the boardwalk. Fellows who couldn't on a dare spell concessionaire. Barkering entirely in capitals, inviting us to think grand, be extraordinary, and above all, to cough up the last of our Nathan's money. World's strongest man was the representational cutout of choice for our pair of 98-pound weaklings, father and son. And mother, wishfully, your daddy is the world's strongest man, saying it runs in the family. A bold lie I would repeat with uncustomary bravado at show and tell. Passing around a dog-eared Polaroid of my old man genetically enhanced by cardboard. After which, if only for a recess or two, schoolyard bullies would leave me alone, fearing Charles Atlas might indeed be my father, and that despite my 98 pounds soaking wet, I could be way stronger than I looked. Or perhaps the cutout figure is of a mermaid and the wife, a bit skittish, is encouraged to plump her head through with a Mona Lisa smile that would stump even a smartphone creating a perfect storm of a teachable moment. Mama sleeps in our swimming pool. She goes there after she has put you to bed with stories and kisses, and this is why, as we have both told you, you mustn't jump into the deep end, certainly not till you're older, so as not to disturb her or disarrange her bedding. Never, never jump into the deep end. Which may be why, duly cautioned, I could never do much more than wade in the ocean mistrustful of the deep. I do, however, enjoy plasticky albums and slideshows of others' deep-sea crossings, places I would never go myself, places to which they have been trip-advised. Not quite agoraphobic, I can visit their dens or living rooms and endure their shameful boastings of there I am with a lion. There I am, pal, aboard an elephant or climbing Kilimanjaro, sightseeing at Shwedagon Pagoda in Yangon, Myanmar, Shan Palace in Sipur, rubbing the belly of the golden Mahamuni Buddha in Mandalay. I keep to myself that father once was the world's strongest man, not looking to embarrass those whose fathers weren't. <laughs> Having come round to my mother's way of thinking, that mother in turn was a mermaid, and that minnow, by comparison, murmured on to another's Achilles, I still cannot submerse myself in anything larger than a bathtub, one with clawed feet poised to lend their support. It seems all my friends are globe trekkers of Homeric proportion, or at least have committed to memory and photo paper episodic globe trekking, intrepid travelers, deep sea divers, Iliad and Odyssey memorizers. Mountaineers with selfies to prove it. Through them, I can see myself in Kathmandu, uncontroverted hero of my own travelogue. Another's pith helmet becomes my pith helmet. There I am, logging adventures, clicking lions from a jeep, fearless as King David. And yes, that's me, hauling my frozen ass up Kilimanjaro, determined to make it or die trying more hands-on than Hemingway, younger and stronger. No one would dare kick sand in the face of my 
father's only begotten son, heir to the genetic disposition of the world's strongest man. Thank you, Harvey. Our next reader is uh, someone I used to Lindy Hop with. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of dancers that come here. I thought Adam earlier, he left. I do Lindy Hop, I do tango, I do salsa. So sometimes my dance friends come through here. <laughs> so our next reader. You all know this about me, don't you? I have, I have many talents. Our next reader is Sharon Chin. Give it up for Sharon. Yes, we Lindy Hop together, and I'm a first-time reader here as well. Um, this poem is inspired by a New York Times article that some of you may have read about uh, immigrants. It's called Underground Rooms, Sunless Lives. I am a Queens girl, and my skin is tan and bronze, the sheen of a life embraced by the sun. Like a sun-seeking plant, I instinctively face and bathe in light. But underneath Queens, my hometown sonores with 800 languages strong, lives are lived in shadow. Dark modern day tenements, illegal basement apartments, a subterranean shadow city. Simultaneous haven and hell for immigrants birthed vast miles and distances away. In these basements of Queens, an underground sanctuary emerges. Shared languages, solidarity, and yet, the rooms too often too tiny, tight spaces shared with strangers, struggled sleep schedules scheduled in shifts. At once illicit structures and open secrets, housing thousands hopeful for a brighter morning. In these basements, Morlock dwellers held by a Janus embrace. The industrious city fueled by immigrant sweat, but the housing inhumanely beyond reach. In one basement, here lies a motto. He wakes in a windowless underground abode, his share a modest but still costly 325. With a motto are two roommates, three men all eerily quiet, their eyes reading the Old Testament are squinting upon a too small television screen. The only visible sign of life, the light peering from beneath the men's closed bedroom doors. No matter though, Omato takes in the sun on his brief morning walk to work and of course in his dreams. Dreams of basking in the love of his family, a beaming family imaginatively within reach. Here in Mexico, he trades a baseball hat for a cowboy hat, a different man emerging. Darkness and loneliness replaced by lights of gratitude, love, and well-regard. By definition, I am not an immigrant. I was born in Bayside, my father in Bed-Stuy, but my 99-year-old Toysanese grandfather, a paper son, came first. He too lived in the shadows until he fought, earning both citizenship and light. And I'm, and I'm reminded that hope sometimes comes at the price of the sun. Hope itself is often a self-illuminating light, and we all begin from immigrant stories. So let your empathy for immigrant struggles burn ever bright. Yeah. Thank you, Sharon. Get up one more time for Sharon Yop debuter. Our next reader is Jay Adler. Are you here, Jay Adler? 
give it up for Jay Adler, another Yop debut. My first time, too. And I've got to remember the password. Okay, I got it. This is called Vertiginous Swoon. You want it always the same, and you want it every, different every time. The cool glamour, hot thrill of a new face, new form, new self. Renewal in a new face and form, freshness in a different gaze, and then it's you who's unknown glamour and thrill again, brimming with expectant release. In their eyes, you are endlessly recreated, you are possibility waiting to happen to yourself. The fascination in their eyes, oh yes, the fascination, the curious, the virgin understanding, receiving you so free of fault, so free of failure, so free. None of that familiar comfort, the sympathy, discouraging change. And even as the dance begins, new steps begin old steps, new steps become old steps begun in the seeking repetition in the lean of the body, a turn of the hip. You both signal expectations. That's the dance to fulfill the way a story tells you how to read it. Every seducing heart's the author, the popular author of its charm. You want it the same. The ritual renews, remembered music, the inbred beat, old moves, happy with recognition, varied with the same new face and feel and fate. Want it different. And if you do seek youth, and if you do, new chances, new lives, who wouldn't want? Yes, death, but we still all live for moments, so that's all we get despite the labor. And in this moment, infinitely expanded, death, God, purpose, are not the matter now, no. Get swelled to perfect meaning, perfect concentration, discovered at the edge, ecstatic edge. It's alluring, breathing the bubbly there in the bar light, slow-like, low-like, burst. Edge of life, edge of love, edge of wit, again bite the wit. Of course, what do you think Why we're here? So it seems, because the only faith, the only faith these days is in each other, the chosen one, whose faith we fail, faithless. And though I would choose no other, I choose another, and another hope to find their faith in all you've never become, to be chosen for it, to choose myself again and become it. Yeah, I want it the same, because I loved it last time, that time, and I want it different, each beautiful female to portal me to wonder in her sight, to splendor in her particular positive glow, to completeness in all she doesn't know. Yes, and bus stopping, alerting, head lifting from pain in her eyes. I do so love a pretty face and the vertiginous swoon of a tender and frightening fall. Keep it going for Jay, Yop debuter. Thank you for coming. Thank you for sharing for the first time. Okay, uh, let's try to speed it up a little. It's 9.35. Still got a few more readers on this advanced list. Then we're going to get a couple people off the open mic. So our next reader is a Poem of the Month winner from a couple months ago. Give it up for Kyle Brosnahan. Hello. Love you all. Uh, sweet. Uh, this poem is called From One Stranger to Another. Go find a stranger and ask them to imagine what a billion looks like. A billion of what? The stranger may ask. <coughs> a billion of anything, you say. A billion people, a billion balloons, a billion stars. 
Okay, the stranger says. And the stranger imagines a billion people and a billion balloons and a billion stars all crammed down into the Grand Canyon. It's a mess, the stranger says, his eyes closed and concentrated, imagining, but they all fit. <laughs> the <laughs> then ask the stranger to imagine what infinity looks like. Easily, the stranger imagines going out into the world and finding someone and loving them and asking them about their life. All right, thank you. stuff Kyle come back on December 9th you can see Kyle you can see Constantine you can see me I'll be here of course <laughs> Joe Kendall Arthur probably Where? right here <laughs> you sounded genuinely confused <laughs> no no well it is special but it's the op yeah December 9th Okay, our next reader, another Yop debut. Wow, I mean, he's, this, he's got like the best name tonight. Give it up for Blake Z. Wrong. Hey, I'm also a first-time reader. I'm just, I'm just doing that for the pop, thank you. Okay, this poem is called uh, Death to Drug Traffickers Under Singapore Law. Vermont will always remind me of heartbreak but so will New Haven and Austin and Port Henry, more recent than not. There is no sense in this great migration if you're going to bring it all with you anyway instead of leaving it at the curb for the Goodwill truck. But no, you, you carry it like so much checked luggage that chafes the shoulder blades, suitcases of glass and India ink and discarded bones, sense memories of chicharrones, gorgon stares from mermaid lions, tear gas and peony leaves and gathering clouds and you pass it through the x-ray like it's no big deal, like you already have an explanation forming at your lips. No, sir, I cannot possibly open this bag. You see, this is part of my body now, fused to my spine, growing from the tips of my fingers, wrapped around the leather straps. Please, pat me down again. Brush the back of your hand upward until you feel resistance. Did a stranger pack your bags? Did a man or woman ask you to carry something for them? A piece of their absence? A small good thing? A little kiss? Yes, sir, I'll come this way. I'm ready for my close-up. A long time ago, someone asked me to hold on to this. Long black tendrils swirling inside the body scanner, gathering smoke. Thank you. Good stuff, good stuff. Asian American men. Three of the five of them are here today. <laughs> If I didn't know you, I'd be so mad right now. <laughs> wow, that was a good one, though. I, I, I got I to give that to you. Well, you're the next reader, so give it up for uh, three of the five poets from New Jersey. Arthur Russell. First time reader. Thank you. Nice. Fuck, fuck me. Three minutes and 22 seconds. Get money. It will not make you happy. It will not bring you closer to God's son or sustain you in times of grief or incline you towards fidelity or away from violence. It will not make you rich or excuse you from greed 
or ensure that you will not turn your hand against yourself yet, I strongly recommend it. <laughs> As a debt collector, I meet people who, having entered the nation of money without proper documentation, are being rounded up and deported back to no money. Some people say the poor need to smarten up, but I don't think the poor need more brains. I think they need more money. I know you'll say, this is a shitty poem, Arthur. <laughs> Where's the heart? Where's the loss? Where's that other crap we adore so much in your poetry? Your love of your parents, despite the way they crushed your soul. The car wash stories with their unforgettable details. The Whitman-esque grandeur for which you are justly known. I know you'll say that. Hearing this poem, Get Money, at the Brooklyn Poets' Yawp on a Monday night in November is as depressing as mold on bottled spaghetti sauce in the refrigerator when you've come all the way home convincing yourself that a nice bowl of rotelli marinara with shaved parmesan and a bottle of beer will come close to making up for what has passed for your day. <laughs> but think of it from my perspective. You only had to hear me say it just this once at an open mic. And having heard me say it once, you'll never have to hear it again. This poem is not going to win Brooklyn Poets November Poem of the Month. 718-374-1953. I'm not coming back here next month to read it at the Brooklyn Poets Poem of the Year Smackdown. This poem is not going to get published anywhere, let alone win a pushcart prize. You're not going to have to see it excerpted on a subway poster years hence on your way to the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden and point up there and say to your grandchild, you know, Ashtabula, I was there <laughs> when Arthur Rutherl read this for the first time at 61 Local. Whereas I have been saying, get money to myself every day for 45 years now on the theory that if you drive fast enough over a rising drawbridge, you will evade your pursuers and land safely on the downward slope. <laughs> and when I see house sparrows at the bird feeder outside my window knocking each other off the perch for a dive at the black sunflower seeds, I say, yes, sister, I know exactly how you feel. And then just this past week, I choked during a negotiation and cost myself a large sum of money. I just screwed it up. Specifically, when the guy I was negotiating with told me his side of the story, instead of calling bullshit on him, I sympathized with his situation. And within a few minutes, it ended badly. 
Maybe I'm just getting older and losing my edge. Maybe it's Walt Whitman's fault. <laughs> Too much empathy. Or I've considered blaming it on my divorce now that I'm a broken man. The truth is, I don't know how it happened. Good stuff. Yeah. Definitely longer than 322, but. Uh. Almost four minutes and 30 seconds. <laughs> the laughter! The laughter! Well played, Arthur. Well played. I think the, the sweater vest is perfect for that, Paul. Uh, wow. I think that's the first time I've cried at the uh, 718374. Was that actually in the poem? <laughs> Or was that an ad lib? You actually wrote that. I wrote it in a little while ago. <laughs> oh man, I almost feel like we should stop, but uh, we only have a few more readers. Okay, uh, <laughs> that was good. Uh, Arthur's a former Yopper of the Year, former Poem of the Year winner as well. Our next reader is the current Yopper of the Year. Give it up for Bill Livingston. <laughs> It's Veterans Day. Ricky Hernandez, thank you for your service. Any more vets? Any more vets? Thank you for your service. Everyone, thank you for your service. This does not have anything to do with Veterans Day. This is called Strong Suggestions. Let's touch all of the paintings until they kick us out of the museum. Let's run naked through the woods until the stinging nettles skin us from ankle to kneecap. Let's mark our territory with a beer piss that would knock the paint off a lamppost. Let's take all of the glass eyes of the world and play marbles until someone wins Sammy Davis Jr.'s. Let's replace all the pacifiers with cannabis edibles, expand young minds, and give some parents a break. Let's get a case of Four loco, boil it down to its evil essence, spread it on our avocado toast, and see what develops. <laughs> Let's make circumcision voluntary again. <laughs> Let's take control of the anarchy while setting a fine example for our children. Let's melt all the candles in the Catholic churches and form a wax sculpture called the Devil's Cum Shot. Let's. Let's dig up all of the time capsules and open them before aliens extract them from our war-charred Earth. Let's DVR our dreams and show them to each other at red carpet premieres. Let's save the nightmares for the GOP. Let's pump that hard bop into the atmosphere 24-7. Anything by Mingus or Monk will do. Let's howl at the sickle moon because the full moon would be too obvious. Let's crash some Hasidic weddings Women dance with men, men dance with women, twerk on the rabbi, blow some fucking minds. Let's replace all the bullets with French ticklers. Ready, aim, orgasm. Let's wake the horses, ride them hard into the decaying sunrise like we were riddled with poison arrows. Let's befriend the ghosts who eternally waltz to broken Victrolas and make forever almost bearable. Let's... Let's, let us, shall we? Thank you.
I don't even know what's happening anymore. <laughs> what happened to this open mic just became like a comedy hour. It's, uh, I, cry, I think I cried again. <laughs> Devil's cum shot. I'm going to nightmares about that phrase. <laughs> I don't think I can write a poem again after that. It's just devil's cum shot. <laughs> it's going to take over my imagination. Uh, okay, we have... <laughs> it's, Definitely, d almost almost my bedtime. So uh, we're gonna get three readers off the open mic. Uh, the first people off the open mic are uh, our beloved staff members. So uh, they're gonna read first, and then we're gonna have time for one other person who is not a staff member, and then we have to call it a night. So give it up, or in fact, our brand new staff member. You've heard her here before. She decided to start uh, slumming for us on the other side of the uh, front desk. There, give it up for Renee K. Yeah. So normally I read you all first drafts, but this is actually a revision of the poem that I read last month. And it's Veterans Day, but it's also two days before my birthday holiday. Yeah. And I write really sad poems, so we're going to change the mood real quick. Uh, this poem is called Let Me Write an Ode to Something. Let me mourn my miscarried childhood, my father's lobotomy. Let me wrap this blank where something should be in a swaddling blanket. Let me read its stories, tell it goodnight. Let me sweep in an ocean of black lace. Let me pile it high, an altar to the god of empty space. Let me pray, let me pray. Some ode to the thing I do not know I am missing. Some mother that was not mine. Some button locked in the floorboards of my apartment. Let me thank it for its persistence in being somewhere that is not here. Let me be not here. Let me sing a hymn over the subway rumbling on some journey that is not mine. Let me bless that motion carrying forward anyone who wishes to go forward, but let me be still. Once I filled the whole of my stomach with uncountable candy-coated Tylenol, talked my friend out of oxy with my sweet smile, wondered if we would die anyway. I wanted to write about the rain how on this particular piece of earth, it is always the same water bouncing off the asphalt into the sky and back again. Would it change anything if I told you their father had died, that the house still smelled like him, that we are always trying to take care of ourselves but are prone to taking the wrong medicines? In an attempt at immortality, an almost benevolent God buried shards of hope inside each raindrop, are rainbows the result of the slicing open of the sky? I stayed alive that month. My room wasn't my room, but storage for my father's lost apartment, his third death that year, my floor an archive of comics, his hospital room overflowed with characters. Does it matter that they were all in his head, that they put him there in the first place? A home is just a claim. Does it matter that I read every smoke-dusted page, found no heroes to save him. Most nights I curl up in bed with ghosts, give them all I have, which is another way to say desire. In an act of rebellion, I pray for chaos instead of peace, wake up in an April shower with no umbrella, spend the night wringing it out of my hair, place what I can in thumb-sized vials, mop the rest off the floor. If silence is the sound of a sentence being reborn, if dawn is waiting to rupture with new language, 
How can I stay dying without living? Thank you. Great stuff. Thank you, Renee. Brook and Poet staff members hugging. You love to see that. Team building, everyone. Do it again. <laughs> <laughs> that just sounds weird. <laughs> Settle down. <laughs> Her dad is here. Are there? <laughs> Our next reader uh, is Josephine Blair. Her father is in the audience. Be extra nice to her. Give it up for Joe. actually don't need to adjust it because we're at the same height, but I do appreciate you being here. Um, okay, so, I <laughs> you guys, so I wasn't actually going to read tonight, but as Jason just mentioned, my father is here, and he's never heard me read anything I've ever written, so this is a special moment. Um, last week, I read a poem, last week, last month, I read a poem that I wrote for him about him. Um, but I can't do that again to you because you've all already heard it. So I'm, instead, I'm going to read a poem about, about a dog. Um, <laughs> to which my father is allergic. <laughs> um, but I love you, Papa. Okay. It doesn't have a title because I don't title anything. All right. It's short, I promise. Thank you all so much for still being here, by the way. This has been very long. Thank you so, so, so much. You all are amazing. Okay. The dogs lived here longer than I have. Runt of an unwanted litter, snatched by a meat market in Korea, rescued to luxury in Brooklyn. Organic food, buildings with doormen, steel elevators whose buttons light up when you press them. Still, I imagine him a fox king reigning from his throne, an ancient cupped oak hand, snout resting on wood, knuckles resting on the soft black snouts of his fox fathers. In front of me now, he spins in three circles before peeing on a pile of fresh wood chips. He guides me through pine cone debris, hops over waxy leaves and yellowed roots, the woods that are here still his kingdom. A flock of last night's raindrops sighs above us. Thin branches bend. The dog trots, assures me we're not lost. We go home the way he wants to. Inside the sun, his orange fur, a canopy to the rest of him, still cradles the light after it's gone. Now that he's stopped eating the wicker baskets, his blanket can stay on the bed. At home, the plants have unclenched their fists. At night, I turn off the TV and we are all quiet. We listen to rubber balls smacking cement, airplanes turning to clouds. The couch is warm, still holding the sun, knitting our years in its hands. Thank you. Okay, Brooklyn Poets staff. Uh, Joe will be here in December, not only because she'll be working, but she'll also be reading in the SmackDown, because she also won Poem of the Month this year. Yeah, you can applaud for her. Don't be shy. Uh, so you will see her again. Our last reader of the night is Tim Olds. Give it up for Tim.
Oh, damn, like the same height as Joe. Cool. Okay, not quite. I'm shorter. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Arthur. <laughs> uh, so shout out to Robert and his, um, uh, his workshop, Mythic Mundane, which was awesome and where I wrote this poem. Um, of course, is better than the poem. Uh, so this is, called, uh, this is called Bridge. This morning bridge glows backlit from the east. I imagine design sketches, noon, dull gray steel, Cranes coaxed resplendent dawn from open bay. What if there actually was an idea that could save us, but we can only think it driving backwards in traffic? <laughs> Cormorants fly close over the water in a single line, each imi uh, imitating the one just ahead like thoughts. Wing beats pass from front to back, it undulates. To think builds a bridge straight into perpetual fog, laying down pylons just from the near earth side, hoping. Tall red cranes perch on a hill over low buildings. Surely some crane invisible must draw me up too. How high? The height of the crane preordained it. The founders of this democracy could not conceive of antibiotics, bullet cartridges, railroads, sweet corn. It's easy to focus on the even angled steepness of this hill, not where I pause, flattened as a road cuts across my path, stretching to water either side. World record race times from the 1930s became qualifying times for high school nationals. A cement truck fusses by, straining, half-round chute folded back on itself for transit. Unlike a human mouth, a steel flap stops cement shaking loose on the road. No one could tell that fertilizer helps a plant grow, watching only five minutes. Any motion is just wind. Circular, rectangular, rounded. One row of buses holds headlight shapes like grudges, streamlined for an aborted future. The eldest has a cycloptic eye. Modern means after the first printing press, 1440, when a pet son still ran around the earth faithfully. The worker statue before the defunct stock exchange embraces an art deco child who raises his right fist. He guards that future with thick hammer-wielding arms. Built for futures believed to be rising from bed or changelings, always unrecognizable by daybreak. People scattered across sidewalks, some twitching, some shaking. What is planned fully, centrally? Cold nights they find vents to ground, uh, to crowd, enveloped in steam. Colonizers found many villages empty, diseased, dead, unburied. First apocalypse already passed. Light shines gold across the top of this canyon, a gray concrete rectangles, together a testament scared up by fires and the shaking of the earth. The Quileute told of water rising, smothering land. 1987, Seattle is noticed loitering in a tsunami zone. The distant sailboat glides sheets down, silent to me on the pier. I imagine sweet sea air blowing. Aboard is all two-stroke thrum, gasoline sting. Our highest good, a hundred years from now, can't help but rot and reek of phlogiston, snake oil. Across the bay, bright orange halos grow prolate as a sunset blocked uh, from here by hills, buildings, reflects in windows normally too small to see. Thanks, everybody. Okay, thank you, Tim. Let's review. Thank you for staying, everyone. It's almost 10, it's amazing. I haven't eaten dinner, I'm still standing. That was Tim Olds. Before that was Josephine Blair. Before that, Renee Kay, Bill Livingston, Arthur Russell, Blake Z. Wrong, Kyle Brosnahan, Jay Adler, Sharon Chin, Harvey Sauce, Melody Chaikali, Todd Friedman, Kim Brandon, Gerald Wagoner, Robin Romeo, Tim Gerber Fleury, Kyle Leung, 
Constantine Jones, Jasmine Pyrrhic, David Glover, Della Rowland, and Ellen Ripberg. That's 22 readers. Hopefully you remember the poem that you wanted the most. 718-374-1953. Uh, we will be back here December 9th. Marwa Halal is leading the workshop and kicking off the open mic. A lot of you know her. Uh, again, it is open sign-up next time. First time in the history of the Yop. Uh, be here. Be here early. Be, be prepared to uh, fend off the hordes if necessary. And uh, it's going to be a great night. Uh, probably the best event of the year. Uh, it's at least one of them. Uh, so... You need the number again? 718-374-1953? That would be fun, but let's not do that. Uh, let's call it a night. Thank you for staying. <laughs> and we'll see you in December. Yes, please take your glasses downstairs. That would be a big help. There you have it, the Broken Poets Yop Open Mic for November. Congrats to Kim Brandon for claiming the 12th and final spot in our Poem of the Year SmackDown lineup for winning Poem of the Month for November for her uh, hilarious poem, which she originally titled Those BGPs, Big Girl Panties, and has since changed the title to Black Girl Panties, which is uh, probably even more badass. Um, so Kim joins 11 other readers from over the past year, beginning with actually December 2018, who will face off uh, on December 9th, the date of the 12th and final yawp of the year, which will be led by Marwa Halal, uh, after a short and open mic, as you heard on the podcast recording. If you listen to the whole thing, we will have the 12 winners of the poem of the year, or sorry, the 12 previous winners of poem of the month. All read their poems, and uh, the audience will decide who takes home Poem of the Year honors. We will also that night announce our 2019 Yawper of the Year and uh, hear readings by our 2018 Poem of the Year co-winners as well as our 2018 Yawper of the Year, Bill Livingston. So it's a fun and festive night. If you've never come to the Yawp before, this is a pretty good one to go to because uh, you will see quite a panoply of talent. I just wanted to use the word panoply. I might as well use it in that particular instance. Um, once again, we will have a short and open mic, uh, so we will probably only have about 12 readers. We will see based on how long people go. We always give people the three-minute max uh, rule, but uh, if you can tell from the length of this month's recording, many people went over that time limit, so hopefully in December people will keep to their time and we can get through uh, maybe even a couple more readers. There will be no advanced sign-ups for December, so if you've signed up hoping to get on the advanced list uh, this month, you will just have to try to show up early and claim one of those open spots. Um, any other announcements I have we have the Hudson Valley retreat coming up our inaugural I love using that word Hudson Valley retreat at the Garrison Institute which is uh, from December 6th through 8th registration has closed but if you listen to this and are just desperate to join us you can uh, register or email me see if you can get in late we can probably accommodate you until after Thanksgiving at that point it's pretty much definitely closed so uh, you're gonna be out of luck but uh, if you're interested and you've listened to this whole thing, uh, reward yourself by going to brokenpoets.org and finding out more about it and possibly registering late. 
Uh, I mentioned the Yop on December 9th with the Poem of the Year Smackdown. Our last event of the year comes your way one week after that on Monday, December 16th. Our fall workshop showcase featuring students and faculty from our various five-week fall workshops will be reading together. And that, too, is a celebratory night, usually the last one is the most festive one and I particularly am extremely festive because I know that's my last book and poets event of the year and after that I can pretty much just be lazy and you know drink bourbon through the end of uh, 2019 and into January 2020 uh, thank you for listening thanks to all of you who rate us on iTunes uh, we appreciate it I think we're close to 30 five star votes it would be great to get there I think we have 29 unless that's changed in the time since uh, I led the op on november 11th uh we would love for you to rate us there leave a review it definitely helps us find more readers uh readers or listeners i guess i should say listeners and it definitely finds helps these poets that are reading at the op help reach a bigger audience and that is the most important thing again if you're interested in the op or any of our workshops or other events just check us out at brokenpoets.org thank you as always for listening see ya